Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. As I'm recording this, it's officially December, which means it's Christmas time. And I hope you're having an awesome Christmas. Maybe you're getting some shopping done. Maybe you're decorating or putting up some of the lights and the holiday decorations. The Christmas lights are going up across our neighborhood, and I love it. I love it because I come home and it gets dark at 2 p.m., which sucks, but I love the Christmas lights and it brightens my heart. Maybe you're getting that done. Uh, peppermint mochas are in coffee shops across the bay. Peppermint mocha, perhaps the best drink ever. I just love me some peppermint mocha. I don't know why. It's just so comforting and so delicious. I don't like peppermint ice cream, however, because it tastes like somebody put shards of glass in toothpaste-flavored ice cream. Don't like that. I also don't like eggnog because it tastes like cold phlegm. Uh, I don't like that. I don't like drinking phlegm. Eh, it's gross. Anyway, those are my predilections, but whatever your holiday traditions are, I hope you're having a great holiday season. Today, we're going to be talking about a name that's given to Jesus that's very familiar and very common. A lot of people know it. Jesus is called by the prophet Isaiah, the Prince of Peace. And I don't know what you think about when you think about peace, but I think of the term peace and quiet. I mean, I have uh, two kids at home, they're high schoolers, and uh, there's a lot of noise in my life. There's a, I mean, I produce a lot of noise. I am a noisy person. There's a lot of noise. So the idea of peace and quiet to me is about stillness. It's about me sitting in the darkened living room with just the Christmas lights of the Christmas tree on. The dog is snoozing next to me. My wife, perhaps, is nearby. We've got Michael Buble on. I've got a snifter of brandy. And I'm just swirling it, and it's just this magical, quiet time. There's no noise, no disturbances. It's peace and quiet. Silent night. I don't even drink brandy. I don't know why I put it that way. It's bourbon, obviously. Obviously, it's bourbon. I'm kidding. I don't, I don't, I don't even drink. I don't know why I said that. I'm lying to you now. Anyway, the point is, this is what I think about when I think of peace, and maybe that's what you think of. And today we're going to talk about how our understanding of peace as the absence of conflict is actually not exactly accurate. In fact, it's completely inaccurate. When the Bible talks about peace, it has something very specific in mind. I'm here with Jay Kim, who taught at our Saratoga campus about this. We're going to get into what does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and what does it mean for our lives? And believe me, it's a lot more than simply the absence of conflict. So with that, let's just dive right in. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go Take a look at the five and ten It's glistening once again With candy canes and Okay, first off, have you heard of the Little Drummer Boy game? Do you know what that is? No. You don't know what the Little Drummer Boy game is? Uh-uh. You play it only during the holiday season. You'll understand why in just a second. The minute you hear the song, The Little Drummer Boy, you lose. Okay. So the question is, are you still in the game? That's what you just, you play, you try to avoid the little drummer boy at all costs. Wait, what does that mean? Like in my head, if I hear it? Yeah, you know, like if you hear it out in the wild, in the, in a mall or on a playlist, you just avoid it at all costs. And the second you hear it, you lose. Because <laughs> you're, you're a loser if you hear that song because everyone loses when they hear the Pahrumpa Pum Pums. <laughs> I love it. Now, what I could do right now to our listeners is just play a clip of it and make everyone lose, but I'm not going to do that, Jay. I'm uh, not going to do it. Yeah, we don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, do you have a favorite Christmas version of a particular Christmas song? 
do you know what I mean? Like, for example, I love Barbara Streisand's Jingle Bells, which no one has ever said ever, but you know. Jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells. Do you have a particular artist and a particular version um, that you feel comfortable sharing? No, I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, I usually joke with answers about this, but I have a serious answer. There is a band. They used to be in San Diego. They're not there anymore. Um the lead singer, I think, lives in Colorado now. Uh, a band called Future of Forestry that put out several Christmas albums over the years, and their uh, arrangements are pretty awesome. Wow. Okay. Future of Forestry, everyone. Go out and uh, check it out on Spotify. Yeah, they're great. That's awesome. Okay, so let's get into this because I got some questions. I got okay. some questions for you. You spoke on Peace. Isaiah says, yes. and this is really famous. Isaiah says that the Messiah, when he comes, will be the Prince of Peace. This is one of the most famous, probably, monikers of Jesus in Scripture. People probably yeah. are familiar with the idea that Jesus is a Prince of Peace. But uh, a couple, couple of things. As I see it, it, it looks like, at least to me, there's three times in the New Testament where the birth of Jesus is talked about. We have yeah. Matthew, we got Luke, yeah. and then we got Revelation. Yeah. Let me explain. So <laughs> in the Matthew version, we've got the slaughter of children. Herod goes crazy and kills a whole bunch of baby boys in Bethlehem. Right? Okay. So that's not good. Yeah. Um, nope. In, in Revelation, <laughs> nope. Uh, and it says, you know, a, a weeping, uh, you know, uh, of, of Sarah. In Revelation 12, let me get there, John is telling a really creative um, kind of imagining of the birth of Jesus. There's a dragon and a beautiful woman, and the dragon is trying to like eat her child and kill her. And there's this giant. And John's saying that like, there's a giant cosmic war going on between yeah. this this baby who is Jesus and the dragon, the serpent, who's like Satan or evil personified, you know. And that there's going to be yeah. this conflict, and, and there, there's an awful lot of conflict and death and war for Jesus to be called the Prince of Peace even in the Christmas story. And I, I'm trying not to sanitize it. And, and I do love the idea of peace, but these stories about, you know, the, you know, Herod's murderous genocidal rant against like children. It, it's pretty dark. It doesn't seem very peace. -y. You know, the, the, right. the sentiment I, and I love sentiment, but man, the sentiment betrays. Cause it's like, you know, all is, quiet and all is calm you know that's what we sing every every <laughs> christmas eve all is bright and all is whatever the words are but you know all is <laughs> all is quiet yeah. and all is uh, you know sleep in heavenly peace little baby jesus in your nine pounds yes. eight ounce baby jesus <laughs> in your tiny gold it's fleece diapers <laughs> you know yes so yeah. like how do you how do you think about that because it's not really pc you know right yeah i mean for sure, <clears throat> Christmas is in some ways a comfort. It's a warm blanket, but it is, to your point, we, we neglect, sometimes forget. Some of us don't even, you know, aren't even aware that Christmas is actually maybe even more than a comfort. Uh, it's a co confrontation. You know, it's a confrontation. I mean, at the time, it was a very distinct 
and specific confrontation to the powers of the day. Right. And we don't think about it because Christmas language and, and um, new Testament sort of Jesus language, gospel language. It's all sort of, we understand it today as, you know, stuff the Bible says, but we've talked about this at Westgate before a lot of the language is co-opted a lot of the imagery, a lot of the way God brings Jesus into the world. A lot of it is co-opted as a direct confrontation to the powers of the day. Um, so it's, you know, there's, there's a, you were talking about music earlier. There's another singer, songwriter named Dustin Kensrue. Uh, he's the lead singer of a band called thrice, but he's got some solo albums and several years ago, he released a Christmas song called this is war. <laughs> like the song is this is war and the entire, the whole, the, the lyrics are all, it's like, it's a beautiful song, very sort of melancholy, but the lyrics are, it's, it's war language, but it's about Christmas. It's a Christmas song. And uh, I think that's really profound. It, it, this it's war. It's a, it's a declaration of war against the powers of the age. You know, I mean, I'll just give you one very quick example of this. Everybody knows the story of the three wise men, even though the Bible doesn't say there were three of them. But regardless, the wise men, the magi, they go in search of the what they who they call the king of the Jews because they see a star. And magi were pagan, uh, you know, astrologers from the east who had this set of beliefs where they thought that a particular star in the sky would mark the arrival of a, a deity king, you know, and so they go searching for this king. Well, that that story and God doing that, and I believe God did that literally, that these pagans believe there was a star and that they saw a star and that star led them to Bethlehem. Well, God didn't do that randomly. That story isn't sort of whipped up out of thin air. Several year, decades earlier, you know, about a generation before the birth of Christ, Julius Caesar, who many of us know because we eat Little Caesar's pizza, and you see, you know. No, I, I know him from Shakespeare. Little, thank you very much. So sure. <laughs> I'm a little more erudite than the average listener, Jay. Give me a little credit. Very sophisticated, Dave Fish. Um, now, you know, Julius you would, Caesar. I know Julius from Orange Julius, though. So <laughs> just so we're clear, that's in the mall. It tastes like baby aspirin. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> So Julius Caesar is the emperor of Rome. He dies. And then there's almost like a civil war over the throne. And Octavius, his adopted son, who was actually his literal nephew, takes over the throne. He is renamed Augustus, Caesar Augustus. That is the king of Rome, the emperor of Rome at the time of Jesus' birth. And Caesar Augustus, there's this famous story. He's, he's standing in the Roman Senate with a powerful man in Rome. And supposedly a shooting star um, shoots across the sky and Augustus looks up at that star and he says, that star is my father, Julius, ascending into heaven. And he is shining above us to enthrone me as his rightful heir. And in that moment, Caesar Augustus declares himself a deity king, <clears throat> not just a human king, but a God figure. And so that was that was normative. Like that was a well-known story at the time that there was a star in the sky that signified the arrival of a of a god king. Okay, well that story doesn't that like 
that story is like the dominant story of the day in terms of what marks sort of the God King of their day. So God intends to send Jesus through this, you know, no name family, Joseph and Mary born in a stable, this cave. And the way he marks it, the way he marks the moment is to shine a bright star in the sky. That is not random. That is God confronting the powers of the day. It's war. He's essentially saying, you think Caesar you're king. is not. You think you're yes. king. Yeah, no, you're not king. Yeah, Caesar is not yeah. king. So all, that's one out of dozens of examples like that. Sure. Where the Christmas story is confrontation. It it's reminds me of that. Uh, it reminds me of the advent coins that Augustus would, and you can buy these actually online for tens of thousands of dollars, but they're actual coins, Roman coins. And one of them said, there's no other name under heaven and earth by which men will be saved other than Caesar. And in Acts, mm. if you remember that story in Acts where Peter says the exact same Advent phrase, right? Only he twists it. Yeah. He says, there's no other name under heaven and earth by which men will be saved other than Jesus. So that's an, yeah. and that's the kind of stuff that gets you killed. Um, yes. That's the kind of stuff that gets and you it, killed. And it does, right? It does. It so how does that killed. relate? I mean, because that doesn't seem, that seems like war, not peace. So, like, how do you, um, you're saying in order for there to be peace, the, the that kind of enemy needs to be defeated? That feels, that feel. I mean, I understand it. Like, in order for the rebel, my son and I are watching Andor. Have you seen this yet? Uh, you're not. No, but I, I hear it's amazing. It's incredible. So the whole idea yeah. is the empire is this giant thing, and they really get into the mechanics of the empire. And you realize, in order for there to be any thriving, the empire has to be defeated, right? There's a sense in which yeah. everyone kind of instinctively understands that. For Luke and Leia and Han and all you know, all the Wookiees to live freely, Darth Vader and his minions have to lose, right? So there's a yeah. sense in which I think we get this at an instinctive level. Um, is that kind of the way that you think about it or is that, is, is that, am I being simplistic or? No, I mean, at its baseline level. Yeah. I do think it's about, um, good conquering evil. You know, we, we have to all obviously heed the words of Paul that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So it's not really about good humans destroying bad humans. It's about the war for humans between a good god and um an evil that's where uh, that's where revelation enemy. 12 helps you know that kind of cosmic yeah. story between the dragon yeah yeah now that dragon the enemy of god satan the devil um does use human agents to enact evil in the world so i'm not what i'm not saying is like humans are innocent but then on the flip side of that Every human is guilty. There are no good humans. <laughs> yes, yeah. There are only humans adopted by God, saved by grace, and enfolded into his kingdom as sons and daughters, you know? So, yeah. yeah. C.S. Lewis famously said that the story of Christmas is a story of the uh, of, of like a D-Day of sorts. It's like God yeah. arriving on, on his soil, but it's enemy-occupied right. territory, right? That's what he calls it, enemy-occupied yeah. territory. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into the practicality because that's the big theology picture, which is is interesting. So it's it. I, I love what you said. It is a warm blanket. It really is. God has come near, but it's also the other side. It it's both at the same time. So it's like kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. In the practicality of this, you talked a lot about how shalom. So uh, do you have a full definition or a definition that floats in your head about shalom? I've got one that was given to me. I wonder if you have one for shalom. It's the it's the kind of the big biblical word for peace, 
or the Hebrew word yeah. for peace. Do you have a do you have a way that you describe it or say it? Yeah, I mean, I guess the simplest it's it's you know, it's very uh it's deep and beautiful and nuanced, but I think the simplest way for me to understand it is that shalom is um the setting right of all relationships, you know. The setting right, right of all relationships. Yeah. 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 So yeah, uh, I think that's a simple way to understand it. Yeah. yeah. I, I was told it was it was almost like a, I use hand motions. It's like you're right with God, so it's this up down. You're right with other yeah. people, left, right, and then you're you're right with yourself, right? You know? Yeah. Uh and then yeah. and then there's also right with the earth is another part, or right with creation, I think is the the better yeah. way. There's also that aspect of it, um, which seems right. it seems a little new agey. And I it, but the Bible is really clear that creation and mankind are somehow uh, knitted, you know, God's creation were part of it. So um Right. This is why this is why uh, people who drive Priuses are the most peaceful people on the planet. Absolutely, you know? it's really nice. I think it's clear. Always calm. I think it's clear. Know? Yeah, yeah. You don't even hear them back up. They can just hit you in the parking lot. I read a stat hear. the other day that the sales of Priuses has just plummeted in the U.S. in the last three, four years. Why? Why do you think that is, Jay? Well, Tesla. Probably. <laughs> you know? Um. Okay. So in the message, you talked about two ways that we try to fake peace or peace fake. Um, and I yeah. love this. I, I, by the way, I love this um, because I think peace faking is like endemic all over the place. And you talk about mm. either avoid it, you, you kind of pretend or avoid, or on the other side, you just try to dominate and just get rid of your enemies, get rid of all the yeah. tensions, get rid of everything. Um, so let's take this one at a time. Let's let's talk about the avoidance. Um, yeah. I do think that avoidance is a very popular means that like why wade into the conflict? It actually seems more loving to just not go there. Right. I mean, we just had Thanksgiving. A lot of people came back from family. I've had lots of conversations with people who have wonderful relationships with awesome family members. And it was a really warm, glowing time of familiar conversation. And then other converse and other folks who said, oh, man, it's tough. It, it. I go home and I'm reminded I'm an outcast in my own family. They don't believe the yeah. same things that I believe. It's very clear. They have really weird ways of talking about things, and they have beliefs and ways of behaving that I know aren't aren't great. They're 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 bad, and they're going to lead to destruction, um, their yeah. own destruction and the destruction of those that I love in our family. So that's a tension, you know. And so I think a lot of people are like, well, let's just. Put on a happy smile, get through the holidays, try not to have a fight, and then get home. Right. Um, yeah. I understand that impulse. Actually, I understand that impulse because it's probably mine. Um, mm. That's probably the one out of the two that I I, I probably lean toward. Uh, what words yeah. do you have to help us see that rightly? Because uh, that doesn't seem particularly courageous um, right. or loving. In, in You know what yeah. I mean in some ways? Yeah. I mean, you know, in the teaching we talked about, we kind of lingered in the book of Isaiah because that's where our, the key text for the entire series comes from, Isaiah 9. And I just, you know, I just said, let's let's consider um, imagery, peace imagery in Isaiah. You know, Isaiah uh, calls Jesus the, the coming Messiah, the Prince of Peace. So where else does Isaiah sort of describe? Maybe he doesn't use the word shalom, but what are what are some images he provides to to show us what what peace looks like? So, 
when it comes to avoidance, you know, we talked about the fact that in Isaiah chapter two, very early in the book, there's this really profound, beautiful, sort of undeniable um, vision of what peace looks like. But it is not uh, it's not peace you find by way of, you know, the path of of ignoring um, or, or neglect. It's it's really proactive, right? Isaiah two four, God will judge between the nations, and He will settle disputes for many peoples. That's a relational term. So he'll, He's going to set these um, relationships right by settling the disputes. And then what will they do? They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, right? Like that. That's like that's like a blacksmith, you know, taking yeah. the tools of his trade and taking. Uh, tools of Turn, taking war. an M16 and turning it into pruning shears for he- for a shrub. Yeah, so taking yeah exactly taking instruments of war and turning them into instruments of gardening, you know, of cultivating the land and bringing about good and and bearing life, you know, and and I think that's that you know that alone right there um, demands that we do far more than just avoid. Now, it is nuanced. What I'm not saying is, so, you know, at Christmas, when you sit down, I know that Uncle Bob is like totally on the other end of the political spectrum than you, but don't avoid it. Sit down and take a bite of your ham, your honey-baked ham, and then you tell that Uncle Bob. You tell him. So who you voting for, Uncle Bob, in 2024? I mean, that's not what I'm saying. Don't do that. Because it's really not about the issue, you know? Whether you discuss a particular issue because you have conflict over that issue or not, that's up to you. But I do think avoiding tension so that we can just move further and further apart from each other, because at least when we're far apart from each other relationally, we're not screaming at each other. That's not the path to peace. That's not peace. That's the path to isolation. Yeah. It's the path to loneliness. Yes. You know, but it's not the path to peace because peace is not, again, it's not about inner tranquility. If it was, then yeah, you should just avoid people and go live on a mountain and be peaceful. You're saying that's not not inner. It's not, it's not just inner. It's, it's relational. I would say it's not inner really at all. I think inner tranquility is the consequence or result of relationships set right. But peace itself is not the feeling you have. Peace is the path you take to that sort of feeling, you know? Yeah. Uh, that That's not easy work. Like you said, There's I can think of four or five different layers on that that can make it really difficult. If there's been wrong and forgiveness that needs to happen, Sometimes right. you have to need to talk about that. There could be justice issues. Some Something is done wrong and restitution has to happen. Sometimes it's yeah. a two-way street. There's forgiveness, but also reconciliation that has to happen. Um, and you have to be wanting and willing to have that relationship restored. You have to actually want that. Um, you can't, because yeah. sometimes if we're on, if I'm honest, I'm like, you know what? Just screw that person. It's easier just not to deal with them. You know what I mean? Maybe you don't yeah, think well, that. Paul, maybe you're a better Christian than I, but that's, I, yeah. I'm just like, you know no, what? No, 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 I think that's right. I think that's right. And, you know, we talked about this on Sunday as well. Paul's words in Romans 12 are critically important. Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. A lot of qualifiers, a lot of qualifiers in that scripture. If it's right, possible, so, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. Right. Yeah. You only control what you control. So what we're not saying, and this is important to say, what we're not saying is if you cannot set a relationship right because the other person is not willing or the other person is abusive uh, in a variety of ways, well, you got to just st- you know, stick with it, stay in there, continue to take on the abuse and be harmed and you got to keep doing it. Otherwise, if you don't, you're living in sin. That's not what we're saying. I mean, Paul's really clear as far as it depends on you, like do what you can. That's, that's what faithfulness looks like. And there are a lot, there's a lot of brokenness in the world. And, you know, we say this a lot here at Westgate, what we are not saying is continue to leave yourself in harm's way, you know, and allow others to absolutely pummel and destroy you. That's not safe. And that actually doesn't work toward peace and it doesn't work toward even their good. It certainly doesn't work toward your good. It doesn't work toward their good either if they're in a position where your presence continues to perpetuate their own sinful, broken, dehumanizing behavior. If that's the case, man, you got to get out, you know? And and the most peaceful thing you can do sometimes is to get out. But getting out for those reasons is not avoidance. It's yeah. doing the work and yeah. coming to a place where you realize this is obviously not good for me. It's actually not good for them. And so I need to get into a safe, safer environment and continue to pray for them and continue to extend bridges when appropriate and possible. I think you, you left a key point there on the table, which is this idea of pray for them. Uh, I think if you're confused about what to do, one of the things my wife and I do when we have these families, st- we're like, okay, what would it look like for us to be people of peace we start praying about it before the event. You know what I mean? Trying to figure out yeah. what might God have us do? What what could we do? What it might what it would it look like for our family? And a lot of times, if I'm honest, most of the times it's having conversations that sound something like this. Hey, how are things going? Like I yeah. saw that post on Facebook. It looks like things are pretty tough right now. Do you want to talk about that? And what I found is people leak and they really kind of do want to talk about it. Um, most yeah. people. And, and if you're caring and listening, it can actually open the door to have some real, really powerful conversations. But if you just pretend and just talk sports, it's not going to get right. anywhere. You know, um, not that sports right. are wrong. Actually in my family, sports was wrong. Um, my wife's from a bunch of Michigan grads and that that's tough. <laughs> that, there was no, that was, very, very little, that was, tough, man. that was very little peace in my heart. That was tough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the second one, let's talk about the second one. The second way that we uh, kind of get peace wrong, and that's dominance. The idea I can win my way to peace, I think that that's the way you said it, or the idea that you can yeah. dominate. Just um, you kind of win all the arguments and you shut everyone up, and then you, even if you don't shout them down, you can use mockery. I've seen people use mockery. Yeah. I've seen people yeah. use derisive tones, uh, argumentation, right. winning the argument. I think we all know people like this. In fact, this is, I said that avoidance is mine, but in my heart, I wish I were quick enough and smart enough. I love it when, you know, people win arguments because it feels really good in the moment, but it can do (laughs) tremendous damage. Um, What are you trying to uh, avoid us? And what's the Isaiah passage that kind of, you said in the first one, is the the beating of of swords and and plow into plowshares. What's the... What's the vision of peace in Isaiah 4? I can just win my way to peace. Yeah, Isaiah 11, you know, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with a goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. And then I he continues, and then the cow will feed the bear. 
they're young will lie down together. It's the like Wolverine will be with the Buckeye. I've heard that's my translation. I don't know. You know, it's pretty funny if you Google uh, like painting based on Isaiah. <laughs> yeah, 11. yeah. They're just hilarious. You know, he's like <laughs> the infant will play near the cobra's den, and uh, <laughs> it's so interesting. And these verses have been taken out of context and literally killed people. You but know, who, but who, but like, you're saying that like vi- the violence in nature is literally going to be bleached out by the second coming of this Messiah, right? That yeah, there's yeah. no more the violence. Disclaimer- yeah, the disclaimer here is that this is not, at least in our context, literal. You are not supposed to take your infant and have them play near a cobra's den. That's unwise. But uh, yes, the imagery is the unlikeliest of characters will um, live in harmony and communion with one another. And so the language we used is this is a vision of foes becoming friends, becoming family. Right. You know, enemies becoming one together you know um putting down their swords and uh and and living in in right relationship with one another and so it's not about winning arguments it's about winning people that's a very common refrain but you know most of the time when you win an argument in a sort of dominant domineering fashion you've almost guaranteed that you've lost the person and if peace is, again, if peace is inner tranquility, then, yeah, you should dominate your way to peace. You should just win your way. Shut everybody up and everyone's quiet. There's no more clamor. There's no more noise. Ah, right? I have peace. But if if peace, if shalom is not inner tranquility, but rather relationships, the setting yeah. right of relationships, yeah. then you can win arguments. But if you lost the person, you've lost. You don't have peace. Um, so I think that was the, that was the point we we're trying to make. That. Yeah. It, does this leave room for, I think there is, see, one of the things that's hard about this is people say, well, if I say hard words, it'll destroy the peace. I think it's possible to say hard words and still connect to somebody. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's kind of a, um, you can have the tough conversations. I love what you said. You had a quote from Sebastian, um, younger, is that correct? Younger. Yeah. Younger. Um, it, w- by the way, what I, I'm not familiar with him. What, where did you, where's this? Yeah. He's, he's a journalist. Uh, he wrote a book called tribe and he's written a bunch of articles for the who's who of journalism, you know? Oh, okay, cool. Times, like you said this. Yeah. He, uh, he, yeah, go ahead. He became famous because he spent some time in the, during the war in Afghanistan, he was on the ground with soldiers in the Korangal Valley which the Korangal Valley, if anyone remembers, it was called the Valley of Death because the most horrific fighting happened there. And he was literally on the ground with them. So he saw the brutality of war up close and personal. And then he came back to America and wrote a book called Tribe because of what he saw, which is the quote you're about to read. Yeah. He said this. He said, we, which is, that's fascinating backstory because he said this. We live in a society that's basically at war with itself. This is a man who was in a war, literal war. People speak with incredible contempt about, depending on their views, the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign born, the president, or the entire U.S. government. It's a level of contempt that is usually reserved for enemies in wartime, except that now it's applied to our fellow citizens. And that is just true the word contempt also it makes it impossible to have peace contempt and peace cannot exist because contempt means i hate you and i don't want a relationship with you 
It's I wish you were right. dead. I wish you were gone. You're a spawn of Hitler. You're you know, um, that's you know what I mean. That's that's kind of what that means. You're saying that there's no room for that if we want biblical peace. That kind of contempt. Right. Again, you know, broken record here, but biblical peace is the setting right of relationships. Contempt by its definition is a disjointed relationship. It is standing over another and, you know, looking down upon them, um, holding all sorts of bitterness and anger and whatever else toward them. So, yeah, it's impossible to have both. That's hard because we have a society which fuels contempt is a, a core gasoline in the engine of social media, of our, you know, of all these things, right? So, yeah. And I think one of the reasons that's the case is because we have bought hook, line, and sinker the lie that you cannot possibly love someone and disagree with them at the same time. And that's just unequivocally untrue. Like, there is no because if that were true we could we couldn't possibly love anyone you know but we've picked we pick and choose these sort of hot button issues and we think to ourselves if we don't agree on all of these issues these key issues that matter so much to me then we can't possibly be in a loving relationship with one another or even if we can be in a loving relationship we certainly can't have an actual rich ongoing robust like real relationship i have a feeling of love toward you maybe but i'm not going to have a relationship with you but one of the saddest things i see you and i both come across this i have talked to several people who have family members and i'm not i'm not saying this because i want to get into this particular hot button issue. It's just my pastoral experience as a pastor over the last several years. I've had so many conversations with people who have family members that they love, who have a particular sexual ethic, um, a particular sexual orientation or a particular belief about gender or whatever it might be. And those are hot button issues and they're hotly debated. And I've had literally dozens of conversations with with people in our church and other churches where I've served who have said my and then fill in the blank mom dad brother sister son daughter grandparent whatever cannot has told me that if I do not agree with them on their particular view of whatever sexuality gender whatever marriage if I don't agree with them then that is unloving and I do not love them. They're going to receive that from me as a gesture of of hate, you know, or apathy, like a lack of love. And I just think that's so wrong. I think that's so such a lie, you know? And I think that's a part of what's happening is we just, we feel like agreement is the goal. Agreement is a desire. Consensus is a desire, but it is not the goal. The goal is peace. The goal is right relationship. Hmm. And and right relationship is possible even, you know, where there is non-agreement. So, Well, I mean, in some level, if you've got two people who agree on every single thing and think every thought exactly the same way and have the same opinion, one of those people is unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kinda, and, yeah. and it, it's yeah. never going to happen. I mean, there's, right? How could that possibly happen? Um, 
But right. you're talking about deep stuff. Um, okay, let's let's let let's line the plan this way. I know there's people out there, and when I say, "Hey, as we head into the holidays, uh, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, wants to bring peace to your relationships," instantly something's going to pop up in your head. There's people listening who there's a name that immediately pops up. They don't have peace with so and so. There's tension. There's distance. What? help us get through, how do we pray to be Christ-like and Jesus-y and bring peace into those situations, avoiding dominance and avoiding avoidance? <laughs> what, 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 what's your, what, what's a practical prayer that would be a good thing to help people in the discipline of peace as, as you see it? Well, I love what you said earlier about what you and Nicole do. It sounds so simple, but it is hard to do when you actually try to do it. But once you do it, it's amazing how much, Un, undoing of contempt yeah you know it, it, it can sort of create uh, and that's to to intentionally pray for for those with whom you have conflict like begin there and i don't mean pray like oh lord they're so dumb they are so dumb please rescue them from their idiocy help them to see the light which is essentially the way i see things help them to see things the way i see things lord Please do not smite them for their stupidity. <laughs> you know, not that kind of prayer, but prayer for blessing on their life, despite your disagreements and conflict with them, you know, and to do that consistently is, I think, one of the most effective ways of realigning your heart, not with their heart, but with God's heart to, yeah. to begin to, to see them and think about them and feel about them the way God does. Yeah. And once that can begin to happen through prayer, I do think over time, not immediately, but over time, um, we will begin to embody a totally different posture toward them. I can say that because that's something I have experienced in my own life. I think this is why the biblical instruction is to pray for those who persecute us, you know, and I yeah. know that. Uh, biblical persecution is a particular thing, but sometimes the Christmas dinner table feels like persecution to some. Yeah. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe so-and-so believes this, or oh my gosh, I was just talking to a good friend here at Westgate on Monday, and we were talking about Thanksgiving, and he was sharing with me a couple of things that happened with his family and his in-laws over Thanksgiving, and I was just like, oh man, that is so it's like so painful, yeah. you know, these are the yeah. people, these are family and it's so hard. Yeah. And yet his posture toward them was, I mean, he, he was very much like, yeah, it really hurt. It really, really hurt. And it was tense and it was awkward. And I wish our Thanksgiving, you know, week with them didn't end that way, but his posture toward them was one of such kindness and generosity and still love, you know, and a desire for a relationship. And then he told me, he's like, yeah, but you know, we, they're still coming up for Christmas and we're going to host them. And I know it's going to be hard, but they're family and we love them. And I just thought, man, that's, that's beautiful. It's profound. And I know he, he prays for them, you know, and man, that's peace. That's the pursuit of peace is just continue yeah. tracking down that way and, and ask God by his spirit to align your heart with his heart to help, help us see others the way he sees them. Well, I know we're not in Matthew for this Advent season, but it reminds me of that the beautiful beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be yeah. called sons and daughters of God, right? Hey, I'm going to close with a, a prayer. This I first heard this prayer at my high school graduation. Isn't that our choir sang it? It's a famous, wow. uh, yeah, it's a famous prayer from St. Francis 
of Assisi, and and you're yeah. familiar with it. I'm just going to read it because I think it's a it's a beautiful prayer. And maybe for those of you who are struggling right now with family members, like Jay talked about, where there there isn't peace, uh, I'm just going to pray this kind of the, read this prayer of Saint Francis over you, and uh, we're going to pray for for Christ's peace in this time. It says, Lord. Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is by dying that we are born into eternal life. Just a powerful reminder that peace is possible, but only through Jesus. Yep. Well, thanks, Jay. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Always great to talk to you. And I pray for peace for, for you and your relationships this Christmas season. And um, we're, we're just grateful you're listening and, uh, and grateful you're involving God in this process. Being a peacemaker is a difficult thing, but it's what God calls us to because he's the Prince of Peace and we want to be like him. And blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called sons and daughters of God. So as you enter into that difficult and important work, God's blessing on you. And we'll see you next week where we talk about Jesus as everlasting father and uh, what that means for our lives. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.